American Field Sporting made its debut across the country this year in 2020, offering a new format and a good deal of innovation to shooters and courses. The idea was conceived and designed by experienced and passionate shooters, and it combines the elements of traditional sporting clays games into something entirely new. In this episode, we talk to Mark Baltazar about American Field Sporting, the rules, how the game is played, and so much more. Coming up right now. Mark, welcome to the show. Justin, it's um, it's great to be here, and I'm honored to be uh, your first guest on uh, on this new venture you're you're going after. We're all pretty excited that you're back, and going to be bigger than ever. Yeah, yeah I appreciate it. Uh, Shotgun Sports is the name. ShotgunSportsUSA.com is the website, and um, y'all check it out. It's first episode. Uh, we have more to come, so stay tuned for that. But anyway. I'm going to do something different on this episode. I'm going to ask you 10 questions about yourself, Mark. Okay? Okay. Depends upon which 10 they are, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, listen, if you need to uh, if you need a pass, just say pass, okay? Okay, great. All or right. can, can I also poll the audience if I need an answer as well? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll poll the audience. <laughs> okay, right, good. F- first question, where are you from? Um, I'm originally from uh, Houston, Texas. I grew up there as a kid, and... Uh, in my late teens, early 20s, I moved to New York City, and I'm a longtime New York City resident now. Okay, New York City. So how was the COVID deal in New York City? Um, it was it was more than real in New York City. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody's packed on top of each other. We're on subways. We're packed. And it, it, was, a real, it was a real thing. And, you know, it's funny. As we travel around the country with uh, American Field Sporting on our test runs, um, I was running up against people in May and June who hadn't even met somebody who or knew somebody who had uh, who had COVID. Where at that point, I knew over a couple of dozen people as well as a few dead people. So for us, it was a, a lot different, um, and it still remains that way. Not like it was at the beginning, but it caught our attention in the city. That's for damn sure. Yeah. So of course, you know that New York was a big topic you know, throughout the COVID deal and still is. So um, anyway, we'll move on. So what do you do for 11? Um, I'm a, um, I'm a, a creative strategist and uh, I don't know really what that means, but uh, <laughs> I work with, a, I work uh, doing corporate marketing and communication. We help, um, we help fortune 500 folks um, tell their stories to employees, to shareholders to business audiences, you won't see anything that we do publicly because most of the stuff we do is either B2B or internal facing, but we do a lot of big storytelling. We do that through videos, large form stage shows, um, uh, uh, investor meetings, you know, just a lot of stuff that happens at corporations that usually aren't public. We're doing that. So it's really interesting. And I do it across a pretty wide array of industries. So one hour I may be working on a big pharmaceutical piece and then the next day I may be working on a television networks up front. So it's fun. It's never boring. And, uh, uh, I, I really enjoy it. Sounds neat. Uh, what are your hobbies? Uh, well, first and foremost, as I'm sure it is for anybody here, it's uh, shooting clays. Uh, really enjoy that. 
Um, I also have a tractor. My wife really pushed back on it. You know, we have a house 50 miles outside of New York City, and my wife's from New Jersey, and she said, what the hell do we need a big-ass tractor for? And um, (laughs) she said, no, it's our second-best purchase to our pickup truck. And uh, so I always laugh. It took me to move to New York to get a pickup truck, a tractor, and a shotgun, and now I have one. Yeah. Um, so we re-architect a lot of um, our property, which is not a lot. We only have a couple acres, but boy, do we do a lot with it. We build big rock walls, big retaining walls, uh, do a lot of gardening. I built my wife a big garden that we feed a lot of families on. Um, and then the last piece is probably our two dogs. We have uh, two wire hair pointing Griffon uh, that we spend a lot of time with, take out of the field, hunt over, um, and really enjoy the hell out of them. Cool. That's yeah. That's, that's I don't know if I've ever heard of that dog. That must be one of those. Uh, Where's that dog from? It's pretty rare. It's uh, Brussels, French, uh, that area. Okay. Um, it's a you know, it's almost like a um, uh, a long haired German pointer. You know, yeah. a white haired yeah. German pointer. Uh, except they're they're not as goofy and not as high strung. They're really a great family dog. Where you get those Germans. You don't want them in the house. They'll just tear them up. You know, they're great in the field, but not not inside the home. And a guy that put the breed together 110 years ago really got it right. A good mix of a dog that would do all three parts of the hunt, the flush, the, the I mean, the, the point, the flush, the retrieve, uh, but also be good in the house. So instead of having to have three dogs like he used to to complete the hunt, it's all built in one dog. They call them the SUV of dogs. And they couldn't be more friendly and more beautiful. So. All yeah. of them. Interesting. Yep. yep. Okay. So how long have you been involved with clay shooting? So um, I think it's coming up on next year will be our 10th year. My wife shoots along with me. We got started. Uh, we were up in Maine. We'd spend, uh, we'd spend a couple of weeks in Maine. And we stopped by L.L. Bean. And they had this thing, um, which are sort of like family activities. So you could fly fish or sea kayak or shoot clays. And I said, ooh, that would be fun to go shoot clays. And the reason I did that is because, you know that little red star at the carnival with the machine gun? You shoot it, you shoot the star yeah, yeah. out. and you can. Yeah. I am I'm awesome at that. And so I thought, hell, that'll translate to sporting clays. <laughs> yeah, like, that's not quite the same, Mark. <laughs> not is quite the same. And who knew? But we, uh, we signed up for it when, and, you know, it is just like, you know, the best feeling you've ever had had when you when you see that clay explode for the first time and we've been chasing that feeling for 10 years around the world yeah yeah it's definitely addictive once you get into it so what uh what what gun clubs considered your home club uh we have it's interesting in new york about an hour and a half out we have a surprising amount two two hours from new york is anthony matarese's place in south jersey but within two hours we have a lot of options. Our home club just happens to be a mile and a half away. It's mainly a trap club. They have a five stand, um, and we have a little bit of a sporting, but it's good just to run over and just warm the gun up. If we really want some good practice, we go up to Hartford, Connecticut, to the Hartford Gun Club. Mm-hmm. Um, they shut down four of their um, of their skeet fields and converted them into task fields, which have nine machines on each field. And you can move around anywhere you want, and the clays are really cheap. And we'll go there, and between my wife and I, we'll shoot between 1,000 to 1,200 clays uh, in a day and make a whole day of it and then go to dinner afterwards. And we do that at least twice a, twice a month. It really is good practice. Wow. 
Uh, you shoot a lot of trap? None. Zero. Actually, when we first started, <laughs> I became a member of the ATA. And after about an hour, I said, what the hell is this? It's boring as hell. You know, we, we've been on yeah. the five stand and like, wait, I'm going to shoot the same bird from five positions. Okay, great. I don't think so. So um, you say you traveled around the world shooting. Uh, where would you like to go shoot that you have not been yet? So here in the U.S., there's a few places that are on the short list. Um, you know, I hear some amazing things about Cross Creek uh, Clays in Tennessee, and mm-hmm. Melissa Wright runs that program there. And I, everybody that I talk to just says it is uh, a stunning operation. It's an amazing piece of ground. Um, there's also a couple places that are having um, uh, regionals next year for the uh, first time and. I always find it exciting when we go to a new place in the regional. So Jimbo uh, Geisler's place down in Los, An- uh, Los Angeles in Los, uh, Louisiana at Covey Rise apparently has a huge piece of property, is making commitments to do whatever it takes to create a, an amazing experience. So I'm excited about that. And then Pete Malloy up in uh, Wisconsin at Game Unlimited, um, he he's he's a he's an uh, like totally obsessed about putting on a good show for people, setting great clays. He's been out on the regional circuit this year a lot, shooting clays just to see what's out there so that he can bring uh, that sort of level of the game, um, not only for shooters that are going to come to Wisconsin, but you know to raise the game a little bit uh, in the Wisconsin area. And I, I've never seen anybody so committed to that. Uh, outside the U.S., there's a couple of places. Uh, one of the big ones is next year at Hungary. Um, we were at Hun- we shot the World Fetesque at Hungary last year, but they're doing it at a new location this year. It's on an abandoned aluminum mine that they shot the European Fetesque uh, 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 there a couple of years ago, and they have not done another shoot since. And everybody I talked to in Europe and everybody who was over there from America, there weren't that many because it was the European um, uh, Fetesque. They said it's the most amazing experience they even had, even in some ways better than the one that they had in Pinconardo a, a few years ago in Italy, which was amazing. And then uh, my wife is a Russophile. She did Russianary studies when she was in college and was sort of recruited semi for the CIA. So she's a bit of a, a Russian fanatic and the European task is in uh, Moscow next year. And we're looking forward to going to that, bringing our guns there. You know, in the world travels that we've done, we've gotten to meet uh, a lot of people from around the world. And we got a couple of people uh, in Russia that we're looking forward to go, uh, you know, meeting with them. So we're excited about that. That's, that's, that's neat. Uh, Russia is a place that you never really, or at least me, I never really think of going there. You know, when you, th- when you think about shooting. I, I yeah, think you know, about- yeah, there's a lot of places that you don't think about. You know, we went to Thailand uh, this year. We went to the Asian... Um, championships in thailand and boy it's a country that just does not like uh, guns you know and yeah. um just trying to negotiate that trying to get the guns even there you know our original flight was booked through china and we were told just 
do not do that. You may not ever even get the gun through your connection. So we rerouted through Tokyo. But the moment we landed, there were people there waiting to take our guns. Um, and then we vacationed for 10 days to get our clocks turned around and to do some visiting. And then we showed up at the club and there was our gun. And the same way going out when the shoot was over, we left our guns and we had to be at the airport at like 3.30 the next morning. And there was a crew there waiting for us to, to give us our guns. Man, it was like... It was like going through some of the biggest security to get our guns signed out. But what I find is that uh, groups are getting better and better and countries are getting better and better about working with their local governments uh, so that these world events can be done. So it's it's pretty exciting. I, I feel like Russia won't be as hard as we expected. I know a lot of people that go through Russia. The Europeans go through Russia. Uh, a lot, so um, I don't expect I don't expect it'll be a a big issue. At least I got my fingers crossed that it won't be. Yeah, maybe not. Okay, what is your favorite shoot to attend every year? Um, I would say that that my my most favorite shoot is the Promatic Five Hundred at um, Northbrook that Brett Seibert throws every fall. It's a uh, five hundred feet task clays. Uh, he breaks it up so that you can rotate that through 500 in three and a half days uh, it's northbrook clays it's awesome uh and it's just about all you can eat on that if you don't get enough of that i think he does also a a matching super sporting 100 as well so you can shoot a thousand clays over three or four days and have your heart's content of northbrook clays it doesn't attract a lot of people uh and it should um i think the fall is a tough time but um it's uh, it's truly uh, if you're a FITAS fan, it is it is great. It's a playground uh, for a weekend. And at Northbrook, you know those guys like to throw them targets, so that'd be that'd be neat to go to. It's sure. funny. I was talking to Brett the other day, and he had to reset targets, and all he did was go out and just turn the targets away from the traps. I mean, away <laughs> from the stands, so they became harder. And he said, you know, the people loved it. <laughs> you know, it seems like the more he abuses people, the more they love it. But I have to tell you. Um, there is a, an amazing class of shooters that are competitive shooters that come out of Northbrook. And I think a lot of it has to do with just that level of clays that they set, you know, and when you go to Northbrook, it's, it's not all that they have several courses and they all scale accordingly. So it's not abuse the whole time, but, um, but they, they don't just abuse you. They give you places for, um, for training as well, they set up grids, which was one of the inspirations for one of our fields that we have an American field sporting. So it really is not just a great place to shoot. It's a great place to train. And people who are based in northern Illinois and southern Wisconsin really have uh, an amazing ground from which they can, you know, improve their shooting and, and enjoy the game in a way that they, they can't find in a lot of other places around the U.S. That's right. That's right. In one word, if you could change one thing in sporting clays, what would it be? Age. <laughs> so you'd want it to be all young or all old? Which one? I think it needs to be all um, young. You know, yeah. right now it's all old. And that's not a good thing for the sport. And I think there's several reasons why it is that. Um, so, you know, so Hold on. So you're yeah. saying that, well, we got a lot of young people shooting it now. Yeah, but not the numbers that we need. Okay, like you need more maybe, young people. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would change the age of the average shooter. You know, okay. right now the average shooter is in their 50s, and that's because of disposable income, time, um, 
you know, young kids, it's an expensive sport. You know, I think, look, I haven't a lot of opinions about this and there's a thousand things you could say about that, I think. But one of the things that Sporting Clays is missing is sort of like that Olympic dream, which Trap and Skeet have, just like the NFL has and the NBA and the MLB. There is a goal. My nephew is on that ride now, and his parents will spend anything it takes for him to get uh, a baseball contract. I mean, they are giving up their lives so this kid can pursue that. And I see the same with uh, kids who have the dream to go to the Olympics. So skeet and trap. You get a lot more people investing because you have that dream in front of them. Now the reality is, is only a small percentage of that are going are to ever achieve that dream or get close. But it, it's an exciting time in your life. And then I ask, so where is, you know, where's the parallel of that in sporting clays? What do we have? You know, it's like, okay, I win the national championship. I get a $5,000 check. I get no sponsorship. And here we go. Next year's, we start all over again. How much did it take me to invest to get there as a parent or even as a person, both in years, dollars, time, commitment, all that. And there's just too many distractions in this world today that, that if you don't have that thing tugging at you, it's hard to keep that going. And I, I just see kids come and go. I see kids when their parents stop paying for it, they're out of the sport. They're done you know, just because they can't afford it. So uh, there's a lot we could talk about there, but I would like to see this get younger because as this generation dies off, there's not going to be a lot of people, a lot of kids behind it to replace it. And that scares me about the longevity of the sport. Yeah. Okay. That was question number 10, but I'm going to ask one more. Okay. And that And that is where would you like to see our sport in five years? Well, first and foremost, I'd like to see it healthy. And there's a lot of things that it takes to be healthy. More people have to shoot, and I'm not just talking about competitively. Um, you know, competitors are only a small portion of a club's income. You know, how many shoots do you do a year that are competitive? Ten at most. Okay, yeah. that's ten weekends. Now, now I have another 42 weekends to fill with people. And where do they come from? How do we find them? How do we get them interested in the sport? How do we even make them aware of the sport? And you know, for bigger clubs. Um, there's sort of this just momentum that's created, but I think about the midsize and the smaller clubs that are just, you know, making it from weekend to weekend, uh, doing what they can. Charities seem to fill a lot for some of the clubs. Um, but you know, it's always a scramble and I know any small business is always a scramble, but you know, there's a lot of things playing against, uh, the shooting world, uh, and, and the clays world. Um, and then, you know, like I said before, I'd like to see more young people into the game. So in five years, I'd love to see that number tripled. Um, and then, you know, in five years, I'd like to see this game called Field Sporting uh, be the newest game shot around the world. And, uh, you know, starting with some interna international competitions and uh, making it sort of a, a centerpiece of sporting clays uh, because of the way that we built it game's efficient. Uh, the game has a lot of variety in it. I think that might appeal to younger people. They don't have to invest as much time into shooting around. And we change, we sort of change it up every 25 birds. So we're not doing the same thing over and over again. All right. Well, in this episode, uh, Mark, I'm going to get you to explain what that newest game in sporting clays is, which is called American Field Sporting, or as you call it sometimes, AFS. It's probably just a little shorter to say it that way. But, um, if you would kind of get into what 
American field sporting is. Yep. So, um, um, American field sporting is, is the newest game in sporting clays and it incorporates a lot of things that are familiar in the games that we currently play. But what we've done is we've added some innovation to it in the, the way we shoot things, uh, the things we shoot, the points that they count, uh, the amount of points that they count for. Um, but doesn't turn it into sort of a gamey thing like, um, like uh, uh, make or break or anything like that. It's truly a competitive sport uh, that can't be gamed. Um, and what we also did with the game is we just cut out a lot of the rules that we found were unnecessary or just burdened the game, slowed down the game, um, and that are just a collection of rules that have been added on all of our games over the years. So we stripped a lot of that out, added a few new rules to it, uh, our motto is less rules, more fun. People seem to be thinking that that means no rules <laughs> and more fun. Uh, there are rules to the game. Uh, if there were no rules, there wouldn't be a game. But when you do put them up side by side, there are less rules. When you first play the game, it feels like there's a lot because it's a new game and you don't know any of the rules. So everything that you hear is a rule. Um, and then your brain tends to add even more rules to it because the rules seem familiar and then you just naturally add all the other rules that come along with it. So for some, the game feels um, heavy on rules, but you know, you know, if, you, if you've shot Task, remember the first time you shot Task, how confusing it was and all the rules. You had to sort of keep in order and now it's, okay, let's just go shoot Task because right. you think okay, only 10% of them matter, you know? Yep. And you're surrounded by people who know them all, and you're surrounded by judges who know them, you know? So somebody can always keep you in line. With a new game, there's nobody that knows the rules. The judges are learning, the shooters are learning, everybody's sort of trying to go, oh yeah, I saw one video, so I know all the rules. Um, yeah. I've heard of people, I was on a squad, <laughs> I was on a squad at the North Central Regional, and the entire squad started debating with the field judge about a rule, <laughs> and they were all wrong. And uh, and I just sat there and laughed, going, "This is amazing. These guys like don't know the game, but boy, you wouldn't believe that they don't know the game because they're talking like they do." Yeah. Um, so that is sort of the early early starts of the game that that we're trying to figure out. But you know, in the end, the game is. Um, is shooting sporting clays, you know, is shooting clays. We do it a little bit differently. We do it in a few different positions, and we have a few different rules, um, and that's sort of the basis of the game. All right, Plus, so it's, yep. you, you have 12 rules, right? Is that correct on the number? You know, yep. When we when we first started, well, we, we have a lot more than 12 rules. We have 18 pages of rules, but they're <laughs> really, you know, and the reason we do is we repeat. A lot of our rules in our rule book are repeated because we have four different types of fields, and pretty much all the rules are the same on each field, but we got to repeat them because if you only read one field, you need to know the rules. So there's a lot yeah. of repetition in rules. And I also felt like if I only say it once in the rule book, um, people are going to miss it. So I'm repetitive, yeah. repetitive, repetitive. I try to say it seven different ways. I hope that once we all get to know the game, we can slim some of that up. But right now, it's pretty damn efficient in its rule making. But well, when we. Can yep. you go over the 12 rule? Or is it, are yep. they quick to go over? Okay. Yeah. When we first started the game, what we did was we wanted some core rules that the entire game would be based around. And so we came up with 12 rules that are sort of the overview. 
And we worked a lot on these 12 rules to, you know, to get them sort of sorted, figured out. Um, and we've evolved them over time. Uh, I will tell you the rules are a, um, are a result of a lot of input from a lot of shooters, a lot of clubs, a lot of meetings, a lot of alcohol, um, and from the Facebook group that we created uh, almost a year ago. We wanted their input. Uh, we actually voted on some of the rules. People offered up some specific rules that we've adopted. Um, everybody's volunteered to vet the rule book. I have to tell you, the community on Facebook that we have that has over 3,000 people have really are really a part of this game and have really made the game what it is and, is, and have been a huge contributor not only to the, the rules of it but to the success. I mean, uh, they're pretty avid about the game, and um, I, I really appreciate all their efforts. And, and all I want to do is give them a game that everybody loves and enjoys. So um, our 12 rules, I'll blow through them. Some are pretty straightforward. Um, We have four different, so rule number one is we have four different field formats. We call it red, white, blue, green. Each each are sort of familiar scenarios that we know, and we'll go through that in a bit, each one of the fields. Um, The second uh, rule is one of our, what started out being one of our controversial rules, but seems to have settled a bit with most people, although there will be some purists that will always uh, fight this one. It's, um, it's low gun for NSCA master and AA class. And our line is not the fee task line. Our line is based upon if you were to stick your stock under your arm and put it up as high as you can, wherever the top of your stock was, if you drew a line straight across from there. So basically, it's your armpit that goes straight across. And the reason we didn't use a measurement is because 10 and a half inches or whatever uh, in the fee task line is on a person that's five foot three is different than where it lands on a person that's five foot seven. I mean, my wife, it's almost at her belly button and Brett Siebert, it's barely below his collarbone, you know? <laughs> so it, yeah. it creates this, this anatomical advantage or disadvantage. But if you, if you, if you look at everybody's underarm, it lands about the same place. For the average person, this will be pretty close to your feet ass mount, maybe a little bit higher. Um, and so we draw a line there. The reason we did master and double A, and this is input once again from clubs, is so a lot of clubs told us like, you know, people won't shoot feet ass. If you look at the numbers, A class and below are very resistant to shooting feet ass because they're intimidated. Um, one, by all the rules, two, by the low gun. Uh, is there a way that we could, you know, split this up? And so I said, sure, what the hell, why not? Let's do that. And so if you're A-class or below, you can mount the gun anywhere you want. And if you're master double A, you have to mount the gun below the line. What's interesting and different immediately when we start saying low gun, everybody thinks it's fee task, that I can't move the gun, that I can't pre-swing, that I can't pre-mount, that uh, blah, blah, blah. You can do all that. I like thinking about this game more of as a super sporting low gun than fee task. So fee task, you can't move that gun. You can pre-swing it. You can aim it. You can do whatever you want. But when you set, if you're master double A, you drop it below that line and you hold. If you're if you're A or anything else, you put the gun wherever you want and you do not move. Nobody moves until they see the bird, not when they call 
Not when they call pull, but when they see the bird, they move. So that's the same on everybody. But immediately, you know, I've heard of field judges who haven't read the book calling people that they can't move prior to calling pull, you know, and pre-swinging the gun. You can do all that. And so those are the rules, some of the rules that we took away that allows people to do all that. Um, So uh, number three is ammunition. Uh, People can use whatever ammunition they want. We started with one ounce. There was a big debate about that. We took a vote. And everybody said, what the hell, this is America. Let us shoot what we want. Uh, and I will tell you that Gary Fitzgerald was uh, was pretty vocal about that. And uh, he ended up doing the Coompecker Open, which had American Field Sporting in it, which all had major gauge. I think you couldn't shoot anything below, uh, above a, a 10 gauge, if, you know, no 12 gauge, no nothing. And you had to shoot 50 American Field Sporting. Um, so, you know, we just thought... Um, I don't want people to have to check bag. I don't want people worrying about ammunition. Shoot what you want as long as it's uh, certified by the club. The club allows it or the country allows it or the organization allows it. Whatever the limits are there, those are your limits. That's ammunition. Uh, Shooting stations um, is another thing. Uh, We allow both hoops and stands. Um, and so some are some, some of our fields, we dictate a stand and some, uh, we dictate a hoop and that's just because of the way the, the, uh, fields is laid out, but some we allow, um, the club to decide whether they want a shooting station or a hoop, um, target options. Uh, everything that we shoot is available to shoot here. You know, ZZ birds are allowed in FETAS, but nobody ever shoots them. You know, one of the things I want to do is um, uh, buy a couple of portable ZZ bird machines and make that our expert. We'll talk about what the expert is in just a bit. It's our most challenging bird. Just to get ZZ birds and, you know, uh, some people have never shot it. Some people don't even know what it is. I would love to have that kind of bird. I mean, I think... One of my goals is to, like, how do we grow the sport? How do we get more people introduced to more stuff? And I think it's easy birds, a great option for it. They make them portable. You can load 50 or 60 birds at a time. Um, and that would be a great expert, which is only thrown once per field. Um, but, you know, I encourage, you know, one of the things I want to ask manufacturers of clays is, like, how do we get some different birds? You know, why not every three or four years are we not getting a new bird? Why is there not a midi rabbit? You know, why is there not a midi batu? Why don't we have these tools? You know, it's like I'm shooting the same damn thing over and over again. Give me something different. Now I don't have to go set a rabbit 65 yards. I can set a midi rabbit at 30 yards and it feels like 60 yards and it's going to play different, you know? So, um, um, that's what this is built for. And it's really sort of a mandate for, uh, manufacturers out there to start thinking about bringing innovation, you know, so we don't keep shooting the damn thing, same damn things over and over again. Uh, target presentations, we're leaving that up to clubs. Um, like FETASC has a certain amount of uh, target levels that you have to set. We're leaving that up to the clubs. World championships and regional championships will certainly be harder. But if your club, if your membership is used to throwing and seeing birds in a certain way, that's what we want you to throw. We don't want you people blow, blowing people out and abusing them. Um, the only time we ask to abuse people is the expert and we'll talk about that in a bit but the rest of the time we're really about people enjoying themselves when people walk in and there's competition scores automatically drop 
Um, we don't need to help them drop any further, particularly as this game is new and people are learning the game. They're already distracted to add these over-the-top clays on top of it is just unnecessary at this point. I found in some of our surveys, we've surveyed people, that people judge the game by the clays. I like this game, but the clays are really hard. Well, it has nothing to do with the game. It has everything to do with the target setter. So we're asking target setters to please be aware of that and judge it to the level and even give people a break as they learn the game because they got a lot of other distractions going. Um, number seven is previewing targets. Um, this is something that's really different. Uh, we allow one preview of all targets on the field in the in alpha or numerical order, whichever way they're laid out, one through six or A through E. Um, and there are no previews of any pairs. So it's like five standard super sporting. You get none of that. We ask that target sitters don't abuse people with true pairs, that one is obvious or the other, or if they're both could be shot. Make it pretty obvious. Don't take advantage of that. And then the other important thing that's equally important is we're asking clubs to give field judges an accurate three-line description, nothing over the top. So the bird comes from behind that those trees over there, comes across the top of the trees and lands over there, it's full belly. Simple descriptions like that, because we're trying to avoid people on the field saying, uh, I, did, I was looking in the wrong place, I wanna see it again. The answer to that is no. And the reason I know that we can get there is because this is the way they do it in Europe. You get one preview, and they don't even tell you where the damn bird's coming from. You look at the sign, and you got to sort of guess where it is. Um, by doing this, we reduce the amount of birds that are thrown. That saves clubs money. They're willing to throw more true pairs because they don't have to preview them. Uh, and, you know, hopefully that cost is passed on to us somehow, not by reduction, but improved services or something like that. So, but this is a tough one, uh, particularly for people that have, you know, vision issues. I'm one of those. I'd like to know where it comes from, but we've also found uh, that some of the field judges are over explaining the flights. They're telling people like where to shoot it and things like that. And that is not in the rules. Uh, attempting targets. Okay. So now here is a real different one. Um, we have, different types of targets that that can be attempted. So one is the one-shot single. So basically you load one in the gun. Uh, and then that's all you get. Uh, you shoot it. If you put it in the wrong chamber and pull the trigger, that is not a malfunction. It's a lost bird. Um, so what we're doing is we're asking people just to load one. Um, and part of that is, I love the psychological portion of that, you know, the part of that, like, I only got one shell. I don't got a second shot, so I got to make a count. What I find interesting playing that little mind game is a report. That's what a report pair is, two one-shot singles. But we don't yeah. think of that because we load two shells in. Um, we have two-shot singles, which everybody else has. Report pair, following pair, true, true pair, some pair. And then we have a thing called the expert. And the expert is something that everybody really loves. The inspiration for this came from Pinconardo, Italy, where they had a golden bird. Every every parkour, there was one bird that you shot once, and it was killer, killer, killer hard. Um, the great thing about it was, and if you shot it, you got a golden ticket. And I think they're doing that at nationals these days, that every field has one golden bird. But That's it was right. that ins inspiration came out of Italy. And then you would submit all those tickets for, um, you know, for a prize. But I think, you know what I loved about the the um, this golden bird in Italy and I love about the expert is and I've already seen people doing it. People can have a crappy round 
But if they hit all four experts and 100, they're going to brag about that. If they hit it on the first shot, that gives them something to be happy and brag brag about. And people go, well, what's your score? It doesn't matter. I hit all four experts on the first shot. So the experts designed to be the most difficult shot. I ask the target setters, you know, that shooters, no more than 50% of your shooters get it, even on the second shot. Um, it is a two-point bird. So if you hit it on the first shot, you get two points. And if you hit it on, and if you hit it on the second, then you get one point. So it's, you're either going to get two points, one point, or zero points. And what that means is each field is 25 birds, but the high score with an expert on the first shot is 26 points. So a 100-target shoot, the high score is 104. And that's how we report it back to the NSCA is 104 birds. And in essence, what you're doing is you're doing your tiebreaker uh, shoot-off in real time during the game. Uh, and that's the expert, lots of popularity. Uh, we want to make it hard. We want to make it extreme because we want people to feel great when they get it and uh, want to come back and beat somebody up if they didn't. Uh, just a couple more here. So um, one of the things that we're doing is um, announcing presentations and results. You know, uh, I hate five stand where you get up and nobody tells you what the birds are, particularly if you're not shooting because you don't know if your bird's going to appear that you can work it and the birds just suddenly appear. And I think it's just sort of a sense of laziness of, of, of trappers not calling out the menu. Some clubs really push their trappers to do that. That's great. And then there was that whole controversy of calling out the birds um, and saying which bird was next. Uh, in fee task, some refs do it, some don't. Don't know exactly where the rule is. I think it's up to you to look and, and keep track. Well, with a new game and a menu that is not repetitive, I even do it in super sporting. You just get lost in where you are. And I look at our field judges as ambassadors of the game. It's their job to help the shooters along the way. So I want them calling what the next bird is. So it would be, you know, one shot single two or two shot single number three or report one two just so everybody knows where we are and we're in agreement. That way there's no uh, no disagreement, no disappointment. And then I also want the field judge to um, share the results. So uh, dead bird or lost dead or whatever it happens to be. Because at that moment, that's the moment where if there's disagreement, we're going to solve it right there. And if it isn't addressed right there, we move on and we do not come back to it. Um, and then the last real um rule which is the 11th rule is we have a master score sheet a lot like um uh fee task or five stand that is kept by the judge not individual scorecards it's a scored a lot like fee task or five stand uh left to right you mark a slash if they get it a zero if they don't uh the last two boxes are dedicated to the expert wherever you shoot it you put two slashes in if they get it on the first one one slash a zero and a slash if they get uh if they shoot it on the second shot and zero zero if they if they miss it. And then you just tally it up. The high score is twenty-six. Um so we don't like doing countbacks. A lot of people get confused. Countbacks are efficient, uh, but this whole additional number of twenty-six seems to be throwing people a bit. So we're asking people just to count the slashes and whatever that number is, put it in the box at the end. And then our 12th rule, which is sort of our bogus rule, is flip-flops. Um, 
And that is sort of just a thumb in the nose of the dress code that is in the French game. Uh, you can't wear flip-flops. You can't wear uh, Crocs. You got to have a full back, blah, 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 blah. Um, I see in Europe how that's necessary in some places, but you can't walk onto a parkour in America pretty much anywhere. And it's almost paved all the way there. Um, you know, and you're sort of walking in flip-flops during your super, you know, you're super sporting, you're, you're sporting and all that. Like, why is that different? Um, and so that sort of, you know, that sort of is dress code doesn't matter to us. People said, okay, well, what happens if somebody shows up in a white beater t-shirt? I said, okay, when was the last time you saw that? And if it happens once or twice, that's fine. I'm not going to penalize the rest of us by wearing a certain amount of footwear or how short your shorts can be uh, for some stupid rule. So that's a pure, blatant, like singular rule that sort of encompasses our less rules and more fun there. Um, so those are our top 12 rules. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And I like the last rules is fun is kind of funny to me. Um you know, if you show up in something like that, people are going to laugh at you anyway, and that'll make you not want to wear it the next time. So, yeah, there was a guy at the uh, at the Western Regional that had a beanie on. He had a beanie and shorts and a pink shirt. Oh my god, he was funny as hell. And I said, I would love this guy to shoot up, at, you know, show up at an American Field Sporting shoot because it sort of he sort of embraces, you know, that fun aspect. It doesn't mean it isn't competitive, and that it's serious as hell when you get into the box. But everything else around it, why why not have fun? I mean, um, when I was in France at the World Fee Task, uh, at the opening ceremony, I'm dual citizenship, uh, U.S. and Irish, and I showed up at the opening ceremonies in a <laughs> in a half Uncle Sam, half leprechaun, <laughs> full suit. <laughs> that I had spent hundreds of dollars and thousands of pounds of glitter and it glittered the whole thing. It was as hard as a rock. I had to carry it on like a wedding dress onto the plane. But half of me was an Irish leprechaun and the other half of me was uh, Uncle Sam. It was fun as hell. And there's no reason why we shouldn't have those kind of things going on. It's like, you know, okay, 50 birds are shooting, but then what are we doing for the other 22 hours? Let's have some fun. Let's enjoy each other. Let's have some camaraderie. Let's share stories, play music, have cocktails, uh, and just take ourselves a little bit seriously, less seriously, off the field. Uh, you know, I've done some Olympic uh, events, and they certainly do that. They blow it out when they are not under camera or on the field. Uh, yeah. And they play as hard as they do. And I just sort of miss that collective group we had that in thailand it was 150 people it was a party every night nobody left everybody was staying at the same hotel it's one of the best ex shooting experiences i've ever had and i don't have that at, at these big events everybody sort of goes off in their tribes and uh you know we we may not even ever see you if we're not in the same rotation uh because those world fee tasks are spread across you know dozens and dozens of acres with different times of people coming in and out and nothing else to shoot so there's no reason to hang out although i will tell you ej churchill last summer did an amazing job their village was on the verge of being like an olympic village i was really impressed they really blew it out it was amazing yeah. All right. So how did you come up with this idea of American field sporting? So, um, <laughs> so speaking of EJ Churchill's last, uh, summer, um, <laughs> is this the fee task story? Uh, this is the fee task story. Okay. Uh, a lot of people know it. Um, but I'll, uh, I'll sort of go through it. So, um, 
At E.J. Churchill last year, um, which was the last World Fetus that it's happened, uh, Mississippi's coming up. But on the first day, um, one of the parkours um, had a batu that was set about 65 yards from the peg and went out at a 90-degree angle from there, um, headed, headed straight out. Um, and um, when I shot it, I was one of the first rotations in. Anthony was like a rotation or two behind me. And when we shot it, it was a sliver uh, that went out probably 95 yards and then opened up. So the Batu didn't open up to, to about 95 yards. Um, and then there was some controversy about an incomer as well. So we go, okay, bad target. What the hell? You know, everybody's shooting it. Let's go. Um, and so we went on. And then some conversations started happening back at the club going, wasn't that a silly target? And everybody was saying, what, what are you talking about? Um, Anthony went back and took a look at it and saw that the presentation was different than what we had shot it um, earlier that day. I think he went back the next morning and saw that was completely different. Um, the official line is, is that, the, um, that the machine wasn't nailed in, didn't move, um, We've all heard different stories. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, but Anthony uh, formed a protest. The protest was denied because it was not filed on the day that he shot it. He filed it the next morning because he needed to do some of his background. Wrote six, six pages of, of you know protest, left his $100, and they wouldn't talk to him. Uh, they just said it was too late. It was impossible to go back on. Um, and, you know... Anthony Matarese, who runs a club, who knows that stuff happens, you know, had never complaints about anything, was pretty incensed. Um, and he jumped on um, social media and shared his, you know, shared his um, disappointment. Um, and last summer was probably the height of Facebook uh, in all of its glory of just people beating each other up, people one-upping each other people being vicious, people getting kicked off of Facebook. Um, it was really just sort of a mosh pit. Um, and, you know, that's fun, entertaining for some people. From For others, it was distressing. Uh, but we all jumped in, and um, Anthony's, Anthony's entry sort of set off a firestorm. There were over 400 uh, comments, and it was comments from everybody around the world. And um, so... I jumped in. I always jump in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I don't jump in as much now, but I was jumping in then because it was entertaining and I don't take any of it personally and blah, blah, blah. And so, um, you know, I said a couple of comments. Um, one of them, it was about me being amazed about the French and how they never won a war. Um, that did not go over well with some of the French members who were on the page as well. Uh, their number one shooter threatened to beat, beat me up the next day. I had to apologize to him in French, saying it was just a joke. It didn't translate. Um, but um, And then also a couple other posts, you know, when I said it's time, and the other one I said three words, American field sporting. And we just came up with that right then, and it was sort of a joke. Um it didn't end there. I got called to the principal's office the next day. Um, I was, uh, uh, the next day I was heading home and somebody from the Irish um, shooting team who I was a member of, I shoot for Ireland when I shoot uh, international fee task, 
uh, sent me a picture and it said, uh, Mr. Mark Baltazar, you must report to the fee task office at 5.30 this afternoon. Well, it was 5.22 and I was an hour away back home uh, already having a cocktail. So uh, I wasn't going to make it. I ended up getting a call from uh, 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 Mr. Plinkus, uh, head of the fee task, asking me where I was. I said I wasn't going to be there. He said I had to meet with them um, uh, and it was very important. So the next day I showed up. They were not there. Uh, it was the last day of the shoot. I ended up showing up at the end. Uh, and in the interim, I heard that, um, you know, FITASC um, uh, wanted me to uh, recall what I had said, offer a written apology, or else uh, I might not be shooting FITASC anymore. And I said, well, I wasn't going to do that. Um, and then, um, uh, so uh, I met with FITASC. We had a conversation about a couple of things, whether I shot for Italy, I mean, whether I shot for Ireland or shot for the U.S. I cleared that up that I was an Irish citizen as well, and I was shooting for them. And, um, you know, this issue about my post on Facebook, and uh, we clarified that uh, to everybody's understanding. Bottom line was, it was just a joke. They understood it, but they... You know, they told me that those kind of jokes are not good and that in the future, anybody who posts this kind of stuff on, on Facebook, either before, after, or during any shoot, if they deem any post that you've put up on Facebook to be derogatory to any sport or unsportsmanlike, uh, you can be refused um, entry into task, which I thought was interesting. So your Facebook post will be followed and it could uh, keep you from entering uh, a World task event. So that's sort of where we landed. Um, but I just said, look, um, it started as a joke. Like we said that and we go, wait, maybe what do we, what do we really do? Uh, create a game that has less rules, more fun. It's not as officious, um, and really helps us all enjoy the sport. And, uh, that was the basis of what we did. Our first iterations were more just variations of games, uh, having people in stand in different places, but we weren't really changing the core of the game. And that's where the one shot single, um, and the expert and as well as single previews, the mounting, those core 12 rules, that really is the basis for the innovation and the difference in the game. And that's the basis upon which we built. Once we changed those basic rules, we realized we needed to put it into formats that, um, that were familiar to people because unfamiliar formats along with unfamiliar rules would just really slow us down and confuse us. So we've placed them into four different field formats. We started with three and we've expanded to four that are familiar with the type of games, but then layer the kind of innovation and changes in the way we shoot and what we shoot uh, to those formats. Uh, and that's sort of the basis of, of the game. So you got four fields. That's correct. All right. Can you can you describe each of the fields? Yep. Yep. So um, okay. we have um, red, white, blue, and green. Um, and we started out with red, white, and blue. Um, red became green, and we created a whole new red. Uh, so I'll, I'll describe what they are now. We don't need to talk about what they were in the past. So red is, is, the, is the only game that we as a as a shooting group have have never shot before this format it's inspired by a grid i shot the a practice grid um that wendell cherry's famous for and that they set up at um northbrook 
basically the grid at Northbrook is about 40 yards across by 40 yards deep. And it has several places that have a hoop and a bucket. And there's only six machines on the field, but you really change the angle, the distance, all those elements that you want by moving rather than moving the traps. So we could spend 600 perds on the same six traps, but have, you know, 15 different experiences based upon which hoop we're on. And so we took that notion and we applied it um, to a field of uh, six traps, five traps that are in play all the time. And the sixth trap is dedicated to the expert, which we only shoot once. So there's five traps that we're shooting from. And then the shooting area that we shoot from, we create an imaginary box that's 90 feet wide and 30 feet deep. And then we subdivide that box into four quadrants. So starting on the front left, we have, if you're facing the field of fire, one over on the left, two right behind it, and then to your right in the back is number three, and then to your right in the front is number four. And so there are four equal quadrants. And what we do is we allow the trap setter to put a hoop in, in each one of those four quadrants anywhere they want. So that's not set. So anywhere you go, those hoops can be in different places. So we have four hoops, and so they could stack them all together in the center. So it's not a big difference. You could put them in all four corners, so it's like real extreme, the changes. And so basically, even though you're shooting the same five machines, you're going to have four different shooting experiences. And then we have a fifth hoop that is placed right in the center where those four quadrants meet, right in the center. And that's where we shoot the X-Bird from. So the red field, the way the red field works is you have five hoops out there. The squad comes to the hoop in the center, hoop number five, and looks at all the birds in numerical order one at a time from hoop number five, except for the expert. Then the squad as a group moves to the hoop that's in quadrant number one, and then they shoot a menu of six birds, which is a one-shot single, a two-shot single, and two pair of any kind. And so basically, uh, we run the squad through that. We don't, sh- we don't rotate for doubles. You shoot the entire menu. You, you, you move out, right? So we blow through a squad, and our squad maximum number is five. So we go through all five people. We rotate. We turn around, and we walk to quadrant number two, which is right behind number one. And the shooter that was number two is now number one. We shoot the menu. It's the same menu, a one-shot single, a two-shot single, and two pair. Go through the entire squad, move over to quadrant three, step in the hoop there, rotate the squad, shoot the menu, same menu, one-shot single, two-shot single, two-pair. Same thing in four, uh, one-shot single, two-shot single, and two-pair. And now we shot 24 birds, six birds in each quadrant, and then the squad moves to that center hoop. Uh, where they preview the expert. They look at the expert once, and each member of the squad shoots that bird, which is a two-shot single. Once again, if they hit it on the first shot, it's a two points. If they sh- if they hit it for the first time on the second shot, it's one point, uh, and none if they miss. They don't get three points if they shoot it on the first and then get a chip on the second. So now you've gone through 24 birds plus an expert, which can count as one or two points, and you have 25 uh 25 there. That's red. White is really simple. White is three peg fee task. So basically it's three pegs. What I'm asking target setters to do is not set three pegs 10 feet away from each other in a line, which I see more and more target setters are doing. Uh, I love the Doug Vine uh, target setting of fee task. 
um, when he's down in Florida and you could shoot two hoops and then walk 30 yards around a corner and it feels like you're in a completely different place even though it's the same targets. That takes a lot of creativity, a lot of thinking, and that's what I'm asking for in this game. Not just drop three hoops uh, 10 yards apart and call it done. Uh, And because of this, um, you know, the red field, there was only one preview. We're allowing a single preview at each of the hoops. Now, if if the targets are 10 yards apart, there's no reason for that. So that's why we really want to create some variety in hoop placement and target placement so that there is a reason for people to view the birds each time because they're so dramatically different. And what I don't want to do, you know, for master and double A folks, we could probably get away with that, and we actually tested it, and a lot of people only liked viewing it only once uh, during the round. But then I think about you know the days when I was a D shooter or a C shooter, shooting feet tests for the first time, moving to another hoop. I was freaked out. I didn't know where the line was. So I want to give everybody a fair shot at that. But look, that's a rule that we would be open to changing down the road, and we are going to change rules as we go. So basically, it's three pegs. It's eight birds at each peg, which is a one-shot single, a two-shot single, and, and three pair. So that's eight birds at each peg. And then the target setter gets to pick which one of those three pegs they throw the X bird from. And that is the last bird on the menu. So 888-24 plus one is 25-26. That's why. Blue, uh, blue uh, people liken blue to um, uh, super sporting. So it's like a super sporting station but with two stands on it, okay? So basically, you walk up to a super sporting station and you have six machines. You have six machines on it and a seventh machine for the expert. You go into the stand. Now, the, this is the one station, I mean, the one field that can either be stations or, or, um, or uh, stands. Uh, and that's up to the club, how they want to do it. If they want to limit shot, they can do it with stands. So you have that barrier or it could be in hoops. So basically, the squad goes in uh, to the first stand. They look at uh, they look at traps number one, two, and three, and then they shoot a menu of six birds: one shot single, two shot single, two pair. And what you'll see is that format is pretty much the same all the way. So you want shooters to be able to go, okay, it's the same thing every time. It's either just going to be more pair or not. And so basically, um, they look at one, two, three. They shoot six birds, and then they rotate, but don't leave the stand. Then the next lead shooter, which would be the second shooter, now they're the first shooter of the second rotation, they look at machines uh, four, five, and six, right? Three new birds. And basically, we shoot a new menu off of those three birds. Once again, it's a one-shot single, two-shot single, and, and two pair, right? So now I've shot 12 birds on six machines, right? Now the squad picks up and moves to another stand. That stand can be anywhere on a 90-foot radius from the other stand. You can go 90 feet forward. You could only go 10 feet away, but two stories up if you wanted to. You could go anywhere you want. That's part of being creativity. I love it. At Northbrook, we made a 90-degree turn. We shot one, and we went around a corner, and we were completing completely shooting different birds. Anthony Matarese does this at his club. He has a lot of stations during practice that have two stations from it on one single set of traps. And you get a completely different presentation here. And that's what we're trying to achieve with this. So now we go back, now we go over to the second station. We preview 
and we're previewing because we hope it's a completely different set of views, completely, completely different presentations. We view one, two, and three, shoot a menu of six, one shot single, two shot single, and two pair. Then we rotate, next person looks at four, five, six, shoot uh, one shot single, two shot single, and two pair. Now we've shot 24. The target setter will pick one of those locations to shoot the expert. Anywhere they want, any place that they want, one of those four menus will have the expert on it. That's blue. Green is really simple. Green is five stand. Um, it's the one I don't like, that I like the least. Um, it's slow because we don't shoot it like five stand. We shoot it, we shoot the entire menu in every stand before we rotate. So there's a lot of waiting around. And we do that because the field judge needs to be there to monitor people's low gun. And I'm thinking about requiring clubs to have two judges here so that one can race up and down the line and the other one can keep the score so that the game moves. Or maybe splitting up the menu so that you shoot a piece of it. Uh, before the next person does so we don't have to sit through the whole menu it really does feel long what's interesting it is the fastest of all the games even with that it's 18 to 22 minutes which is about the average length of a five stand it just feels like it goes on forever which is really interesting because when we're waiting for rotation on the other three games we're doing the same thing, but what we're not doing is looking at the same birds we're going to shoot. We're watching other people's birds, so it's easy to get distracted. There are a couple of variations around it. We always start on station three. Shooting starts on station three, so when you rotate, the first person that starts is not always the first person. It's the first person that's in station three that shoots it, and the menu on station three is different than the other four. The menu on station three is basically five two-shot singles, and the last five, uh, two-shot single is the expert. So four two-shot singles in the expert, and then the other four stations have the same menu, which is a one-shot single and two pair. So um, we did this because we wanted a lot of clubs have five stands already built in. We wanted them to be able to play this field if they wanted to. There's no requirement to pick any field. Somebody could shoot an all-blue course if they wanted to. As a matter of fact, Tucson did. They shot 100 blue fields, you know, so they shot 100 birds. But people who have a five stand that want to take advantage of it, that's what green is for. Um, but you could pick red, white, and blue, and repeat one of the t one of those three for a 100-bird shoot if you want to. There's not a requirement to shoot all of them. We just want to make every option available to everybody. But it's my commitment, and we're really looking for ways to change that up because uh, all I hear is how dreadful it is for people, and I even sort of hate it myself. So that's red, white, blue, green. <laughs> oh, that's completely not what I had in mind. It sounds really fun, though. Um, you know what? Uh, people are really enjoying it, by the way. Um, on YouTube, we'll talk about this on YouTube and on Facebook, but YouTube, American Field Sporting, there's videos of all the fields. There are three-minute videos that give you a full sense of it. The only one that's missing is blue because we just changed it up. It used to, the format was a little bit different. It's taking too long, but the one I described tonight is is the format we're going to do, so we have to build the video around that. But I'm waiting until Nationals over and things are calmed down, and then we'll get blue up. But red, white, and green are up on the site, and in a total of about nine minutes you can see all of those feel they explain pretty much everything and if you're gonna shoot it i 
beg you to watch that and at least peruse the rule book. It'll give you a sense, and then it's the responsibility of the field judge to get you through the rest. They'll tell him you yeah. if you're making a mistake. Really, what a shooter has to do is walk in, look at the birds, look at the menu, shoot the menu, move on. It's that simple. But I find that people are making it a lot harder because they – they don't want to mess up the rules. They want to make sure they're right. They're learning the game, so they want to know everything about it, and it's really uh, slowing us down. So, yeah, you uh, you mentioned that green was actually the shortest, but it felt like the longest. How long are the other three fields? I'm going to take to shoot them. So, um, red, you know, um, these are averages when we're running really well uh, and running efficiently, and and shooters are not taking forever, which. You know, there are just some squads that are going to take forever. But red is an average of 24 to 28 minutes to go through those uh, five hoops. White is 24 to 28 minutes. Um, and uh, blue is 26 to 30. Although I suspect that that's going to get even faster now that we've sort of made some of these adjustments as to, you know, uh, running two sets within one stand. We had before, up until last week, we had two fields. So you had to get in your car, move to another field. It was just not efficient. It was running a little 30 minutes or, or, or above. So we're hoping that that's going to, that's going to do that. And as I said, green's about 18 or 22. Although I've heard stories at a couple of shoots that green took one hour, which is, I don't even know how they did it, (laughs) but, um, yeah, you know, um, and I have to tell you, this is like any, any sporting game. One field gets messed up. Everybody gets backed up. There's just no way out of it. So, uh, we're only as fast as our fastest squad and our fastest, fastest field. So it's, critical that people know the game that judges know the game that that course managers know the game and that shooters have a decent sense of the game and then just go shoot it and if they want to ponder the rules uh do that on the side come on to uh come on to the facebook page and talk about the rules all you want but trying to do it in real time uh just ends up you know uh you know potential disasters and that's why i wanted to do this uh episode so people would could listen to it and, and actually go back and listen to it again if you're going to shoot it so that you have any questions with the rules or how it's shot. You can come here and listen to them. But you talked about the expert hitting it on the first shot, giving you two points. Yeah. Is this how you get to the 104 if you shoot it perfect? That's correct. Yep. Okay. Because it's 26, okay. 26 birds per field. I mean, 26 points per field. But only right. 25 birds, but that two-shot expert gives it to you. And that's the way it has to be reported. Uh, if you're a club considering doing it, that's the way it has to be reported to the NSCA as a 104-bird shoot, not a 100-bird shoot, because uh, trying to reconcile 100 birds to equal 100 can't be done. 104 right. can't be done. So you got to call it a 104-bird shoot. And our theory is is that we're doing the shoot-off in real time because we use the experts as a tiebreaker. If, you, um, if the scores are tied, we go then go to the experts, and the person that shot the most experts on the first shot uh, is declared the winner. And if it's still tied, we go to the final field that's listed on the app. So if it's red, white, and blue, blue is the final field. And we do a count back from there. So we go point by point by point, And the first person that drops um, a point is uh, second place. And, the, and okay. the other person's first. So, so is this is will American Field Sporting be shown on all the scoring apps? If you want to go check the uh, check your scores, uh, yeah, uh, we've already um, we've been on all of them, and 
basically, I think uh, Casey's been hugely supportive. Casey Chase and her uh, Score Chaser app, she is she couldn't have been more supportive in what we're doing. I think she's building some custom stuff. She has a lot of catching up to do, but I think she's made a commitment to you know make this specific. Right now, it's sort of a hybrid of either uh, a five stand or a fee task um, that they're doing. Um, uh, they uh, it's been up on Score Chaser on a couple places already that have put it up. I know we've done it on WinScore, and I know it's been done on Scoring Pro, even though Scoring Pro seems to be going away soon. But Casey's going to be very supportive. I think some of the things that we're trying to get integrated is, you know, getting the score, getting the score sheets and the menus in place. Uh, the score sheets are really important because you need to call out who is AA master so that the field judges can see who needs to have lines and who doesn't. So that's that's a critical component to it. And just being able to get the count right so that, you know, there's 24 boxes on the card and that people are really clear what it is. There's been some confusion about that. And then the other point is sort of the scores facing uh, shooters, the, the display of scores. Um, because the expert is, you know, a separate component and as a tiebreaker, the way we built each field, it actually has two scores on it. So there's two fields in the scoring app that really count for one. So one of those scores will have up to 24 points and the other field will have up to two points. And that those two points are the expert. So you add those two numbers up and that's your score, which we do at the end. But we really want to, if we need to, if we need to do a count back or a shoot off, we want to be able to see those expert scores. And also we want to have, give people like instant bragging rights of how many experts they shot on the first shot and the app will show that, you know, they can just show that to their friends. Uh, but that's why we built it. So a, you know, a four field shoot will actually have eight, eight scores on it. So, yeah. okay. I, I see why you need to have your own little, uh, I guess, section for, uh, for this because of the expert. Yeah, the expert is really a big differentiator, but I tell you, people really love it, and it can make a break people and makes your scores look good. But uh, uh, it's a it's a fun component of it, you know. And if it's thrown right, it really is give it really is worth two points. Um, and no matter how it's thrown, everybody's shooting the same birds. But uh, but it really is a fun component of the game that I I don't think anybody uh, has said that they don't like the expert at all. People don't like the one-shot single. They don't like putting one shell in their gun. Yeah. They want to put two shells in their gun. I go, well, we got plenty of other games yeah. that you could do that with if you want to. <laughs> yeah, it's a complete – it completely messes you up. You get up there and know that that one one shell's in there and you have one shell to hit it. Yeah, it's it's you know? really – that really is a mind game, and we do it all the yeah. time. We load two and we hit it on the first shot, you know? But just knowing yeah. that it's in there, I love that part, you know, because this game, as we know, is – 90% mental, and I just want to mess with that part. Yeah. Um, so NSCA, they consider this a registered shoot. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, last year in January, we got it. Um, we we licensed it with the NSCA for two years. We're licensed through uh, the end of 21. I, I suspect we'll be uh, licensed again. I think we've generated over um, – 50, 100,000 targets already uh, for um, American field sporting. So, you know, there's a growth aspect, and I think people are not sacrificing other other events for it. I think they're just adding it to their event. So that's good for all of us. That's what we're trying to do is promote growth. 
Um, and, um, yeah, they signed off on it. It took a while. You know, they said yes. They didn't know it was coming. Uh, scores started hitting them, but I think they figured it out now, and I think it works out pretty well. And we're, we, we couldn't be more excited they – they, uh, they approved us for that because I think that just helps the game um, activate and continue. So is this something you want to have it, you know, eventually have it every shoot you go to as a, as a AFS, um, just kind of like sub-gauge or task or any of that stuff? You want to have AFS involved with that, correct? Well, I, I would, but, you know, that's going to be that's going to be predicated by the shooters if they ask for it, if they want it. Um, yeah. I think the more people shoot it, the more they see it, the more they enjoy it. I think uh, the Northeast Regional was really good exposure to it. Um, a lot of people saw it, took it home, have interest in it. Um, and the more we do that, sure, why not? I think it's a bit of a, a bit of everything that people enjoy. You don't get stuck doing one thing for 100 birds. And I think people are enjoying that part. And I think it also tests your skills in a lot of different ways. So I think it is competitive. And, you know, I'd love it to be part of the portfolio that's out there. And then even if we could get into, you know, we're, we're looking at a lot of uh, countries. We already have a couple of countries that are online with it, um, you know, uh, that this become an international competition one day, you know, but that's a long way away and a lot of people have to like it. And all I'm trying to do is get the exposure uh, uh, to people of the game uh, because, you know, when we first started, I didn't know, God, I hope everybody likes this, you know, and uh, yeah. seemingly they did, which is great. All that effort, all that time, all that money spent for people to go, okay, that was sort of fun, but I don't think I'll ever shoot it again. Uh, to see that people are enjoying it or asking for it, um, that's what needs to happen first, and that's the exciting part about it. Yeah. Um, I think that you mentioned the having the ZZ Bird. I think that would be really cool. I would love to. Um, They're expensive. They take a lot to transport. Right. They're pain in the butt. But I have to tell you, when people shoot them, they go, oh, my gosh, you know, it's a whole new level. Well, you you know, when you see the, the X-Bird, I'm just assuming it's going to be the same for everybody. But when you have that ZZ bird, it will never be the same. Yeah, which will probably create some controversy, like my two points were a lot easier than your two points. But, <laughs> yeah, okay, if you shoot it enough, it's going to average out. You know, I hear that a lot right. about people, oh, there's only three hoops and we're not rotating. There's five people in the squad. Two people are not going to be first. Okay, well, you shoot it enough, you will. You know, like five stand. When I first started shooting five stand, when I first started shooting, like, I was shooter number four, you know, always, you know, because I would be up 24 hours a day searching for the shoot. And for the, like, the first year, I was the number one shooter in five stand for like a year, you know. And it was just <laughs> painful, you know, being a yeah. D shooter and being first and having no clue. And, but over over time, it, it, it averages out. So I suspect the same will be here. And I suspect if we do ZZ Bird's, which is not going to happen all the time. I would think we'd probably say those for regionals and bigger events just to mix it up. Um, that, you know, you're going to win, lose, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, just like you do in ZZ Birds, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm assuming the club regulates the payouts, right? This is a club shoot, you know? We have nothing to do yeah. with it. A lot of people think like, okay, do I need permission from you? No, but you could certainly use my guidance. Um, what I will say is... Moving forward, we probably won't certify the shoots officially unless there's certified refs coming up in 2021. We just need people who know the game. It's gotten us in trouble a little bit. Um, yeah. So you can throw it, but we're not, we, we have nothing to do with it. Um, gotcha. You know, and so um, it's the club shoot. 
instead of shooting super sporting, they're shooting American field sporting. They're just throwing right. our game. It is their shoot. They're 100 responsible for the shoot, top to bottom, for its success, for its financial viability, and all that. We're just game you chose to, to shoot. Now, we'll be there to support you in any way, but we don't own that responsibility. I've, I've had some folks go, okay, you, here you go. And I go, no, it's your shoot. You know, you guys do yeah, it. Right. We will certify your judges. All those kind of things will help you with the rules, but this is your game. You know, it's it's your reputation that's on the line. You have mentioned a couple of places that it's been shot at. You want to mention a, a few more? Boy, and- boy, I do because you know they've been early partners. Um, you know, when we yeah. first started out, people didn't know what the hell it was. Our first shoot was at Eagles Nest at Dan Bailey and Christine Log- uh, Ludensoggers' place, and they put on 125 birds. And they said to me, like the day before I showed up, they go, what if all this is a joke? What if this is really the biggest social media gag we've ever had and we're victim of it? But they did it. They did it amazing. <laughs> um, we, it's a, the both, they threw a hundred white and uh, 25 red. Um, both of those uh, games have changed a bit, but they were the first one out and I'll forever be indebted to them. Ed Origi down at American uh, Shooting Centers down in Texas uh, put his club up and we shot 100 birds there. We learned a lot there. Um, I have to tell you, um, Dominic Bethel uh, opened the doors to the Meadows the week after the Georgia State and I'm sure you were there and saw the effort that they put in across the board. And here we show up five days later, and here we go. Let's do American Field Sporting. And what do you mean you're tired? Come on. I need your attention. And I have to tell you, um, one of the unspoken heroes in our sport is Eric Dorsey. That man is a workhorse. He is passionate about what he does. He is an amazing target setter. He is pristine in everything that he does. This man set the entire course after working Georgia State, set the entire course and then was a field judge uh, for for two or three days the whole time. I mean, out in the sun. And not only did he do that, he he's the guy that is the basis of the new red course. We started talking about that. And I will also tell you a lot of shooters helped us with the green course. I have to tell you, there was a bunch of really good shooters that were really, really helpful at that shoot. And I'll be thankful. I'm thankful to Dominic for for hosting us and 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 forever beholden Tarek Dorsey for what he did um, for the sport. He really helped it grow all in one weekend. Um, so Northbrook did a 275 shoot. We did that over the uh, 4th of July. Um, that was fun. Um, we had a lot of folks t- stop in. David Radulovich was giving lessons. Um, he said he'd give it a shot. He ended up shooting all 275 in five hours. And then posted this amazing post the next day about how much he loved it and that it was the future of the sport. And I promise I didn't buy him a beer. I didn't pay him a penny. He actually did that <laughs> on his own. I was shocked that he even had time to post anything. But um, but but that was great. And it was a great place to throw that. Uh, Coyote Springs uh, did a night shoot of it, which I thought was awesome. Uh, they were going to do a super sporting. They said, why not convert it over to an all blue course, which is sort of a version of super sporting. And they did it under the lights. And Tim Miles is always trying to innovate. I love him for that. Uh, he's always looking at new ways of doing things and bringing new forms of the game. And he embraced this. And I was really appreciative of that and everything that Tim does. 
Um, Brett um, put 75 birds uh, at the last minute, I think two weeks out. He said, what the hell, let's do it. He put a 75 bird, red, white, and blue at the North Central Regional. And that got exposure to hundreds and hundreds of people. Uh, and really, I think that was the thing that got us really set well with people then taking the idea and understanding the game back to their places and wanting to shoot it. Uh, Gary Fitzgerald had some fun and was one of our early adopters. He was also early in on um, a lot of the rules and really helped craft the game from the very beginning, even before we announced it. And he brought it to his Kumpecker Open, did some major gate <laughs> stuff and just beat everybody up and did it under the name of America. And it was uh, pretty amazing. <laughs> Gary's always got great ideas. Oh my God. The man, the man is just <laughs> bored out of his mind and, <laughs> and he is one of the smartest guys I know, and and we talk a lot, and uh, he's just like passionate, wants to have fun, and uh, doesn't care, you know, who gets in the way, who it insults, uh, and what happens is it attracts people who really understand it, really want to have fun, fun with it, and that is the aspect of the game that we're missing, the 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 Fitzgerald factor that is just fun. Lots of barbecue, lots of cooking, lots of hanging out, lots of music. And then we're shooting as well, too. So um, I love Gary for that. Uh, and, uh, and we'll always support everything he does. Uh, Big Red Oak in Georgia uh, picked it up. Uh, Jay Heap, I have to thank him. He, he was pretty instrumental on some of our rule development. Uh, he was just on me, uh, asking all kinds of questions, hitting uh, rules and angles and really improved the rule book and the rules because of that. And he really took the game under his heart and brought it to the folks at big, big red Oak. And they said, sure, why not? And I think it was a pretty good success there. They did a test run of 75 or hundred birds, but it went over well. And I think, uh, we'll be seeing some more, uh, shooting of AFS down at big red Oak. Um, and so that was sort of our that was sort of our basic launch. And in the interim, we've had you know more clubs come on. Alaska wants to shoot it. Um, they got one in a small one in before the winner socked themselves in, and they wanted to do a test one. It wasn't a big one. It wasn't a lot of people, but they wanted to run it through its course. And I couldn't be happier that they did that rather than just going full blast out. So it was a bit of a test run. Uh, apparently, it went well. I want to thank the folks up in Alaska. It's really amazing that uh, we're, we're way up there in Yukon Territory and American Field Sporting's up there. Uh, Texas Gun Ranch Park Gardner uh, out of the DFW area. Uh, he said, I really want to do it. He did it. And um, we had Lizzie Siebert, who is our head of field judges for American Field Sporting. She went up there to, to lead the judges. And from what I heard, the 100 birds went just amazingly well. And that everybody enjoyed it. It was one, you know, it's one of the first ones that I wasn't around. Uh, and that was always a little scary, hitting my baby off, but apparently it went well. Uh, mm -hmm. Chris Schwartzer and Jonathan Spillane at Walpole, sportsmen up at Massachusetts, they wanted to do one. They did 100 birds. It was sort of an entire club effort. Um, and they worked their butts off to get it done. Uh, and, uh, got through it pretty well. I wasn't there, but they seemed to got, got through it pretty well. People enjoyed themselves. Um, we recently did it at mid Hudson here in New York. We, uh, were, we're pretty ambitious and we did a 200 bird shoot, probably a little bit too ambitious, but I really want to thank, uh, Steve Lyon, Steve Smith, uh, Quinn O'Brien and all the folks at, uh, mid Hudson for jumping heels, you know, heels in full blast 
and throwing this extravaganza for, you know, as a first round, uh, 200 birds, really, really a lot to take on. Uh, and coming up, we have a shoot in uh, Wisconsin at uh, Wanaki Gun Club. They're going to do 75. Those are folks who have shot it uh, both times at uh, Northbrook and really want to bring it up to the people up in uh, in uh, uh, Wisconsin. And I think they're going to do it right. They're doing 75 birds, and they're pretty passionate. We're doing it at our, our local club here in uh, November, on November 8th. We're going to do 75 birds. Our club can't handle more than that. But uh, we already have people signing up. We're excited about that. And um, Canada. Canada started shooting American or Canadian field sporting. So the game is really called field sporting, and we allow each country to sort of name it their, their country. So it's British field sporting. It's Canadian field sporting. So Canadian field sporting has been, been shot since August, and they continue to shoot it on a weekly basis up at the Blightmore Club in Canada. And they're going to be doing a lot more of it uh, next year. Uh, Ken Kupsch is has led that effort. He reached out to me and has sort of been driving that, and I couldn't be more appreciative to him. We're also going to be in Norway next year. Uh, some folks that I met uh, when I was over in Thailand uh, want to do it. We're going to be shooting it over in Norway. I think the dates are April or May next year. Plus, we have um, four or five other countries uh, that are online. COVID sort of stopped, halted that. People are trying to get back in order. So I'm hoping next year, and if not, sometime in 2022. But there's commitment interest from a lot of countries out there. Um, and we have, you know, we have a Facebook page for 75 countries uh, and websites for 75 countries uh, around the world that are under the name of those countries. And what I hope is they will become independent entities you know, that will be held together by a federation of groups sort of like the Olympics and that we can start doing some uh, international stuff. That's I'm getting way ahead of myself on that. <laughs> That's all right. Hey, all right. So your biggest challenges in, in doing this whole venture with American field sporting, what's that been? So, you know, um, <clears throat> first was getting awareness of the game um, and, yeah. you know, getting it out there. Uh, people who weren't on Facebook didn't know what the game was. So if you weren't a Facebook follower, you had no idea what it was. Really hard to get those people's attention. We've had some articles um, in all the magazines about it, and certainly here with you. People are getting more and more aware of it. So awareness is out there, curiosity, and sort of this uh, intent to play. But now it's the quality of play uh, that's most important to me, and that is really around getting qualified and certified judges. Uh, it's not a kid that you can hire that's going to throw, you know, six pair, you know, or three pair and four pair and just press the same buttons. You have to follow a menu. You have to lead. So we really want to get qualified, certified judges because they are the ambassadors of the sport. They make or break the game. Um, so we're going to be creating a certification program, an online certification program, and some levels of field judges so that people get different levels of certification. That's going to take us a while, but I think it's critical to the success of the game. Uh, if we don't have them, we don't have a game. I think the same thing for clubs and course managers that want to throw it. You just can't say, okay, I'm doing American field sporting and hope for the best. It just won't work out that way. There's too many people that are curious about it that know half of the information and make up the other half. And that's just not good for the experience. And then ultimately, you know, that experience lands on the club 
And it certainly reflects upon the game, but, you know, first and foremost, the club. And that's the last thing I want this game to do is reflect badly on clubs. I want clubs to be successful, and I want them to continue to throw it. So that will be our biggest challenge. Um, the certification program uh, will will be key to this. And if we can be successful in that and sort of slow roll clubs a bit so we limit their first shoots to 75 so that they get a, a good feeling for it, um, you know, there was some initial over-exuberance on my part uh, to just get this out as much, and I, I think uh, we can we can slow roll it a bit more and 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 create much more long-term enduring success for the game and for clubs. Well, this has all been very interesting to me. Uh, I'm um, I'm glad that you did this. I think it'll be fun once people catch on to it. Um, and as you know, word of mouth is probably the best form of advertising. So once people get play or get to shooting the game and and enjoying it, they will definitely spread the word about it. And I did not know that there was this much involved with creating something like this. You know, it's, I, I didn't. It's I didn't either. I did not either. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's been a lot of time, a lot of money, um, you know, a lot of travel. Um, but to me, it's worth it. I think. COVID certainly helped me. It gave me some more time to do it. I don't know if, if I needed to pay 100% attention to the work. I would have been able to achieve as much as we did in this time. But um, um, it's to me, it's it's paying off. The worst thing would have been is everybody hated it. So uh, I'm happy everybody's yeah. enjoying it. So uh, tell everyone how they can f- look you up. How, how can they – Facebook, website, what is all that information? Yep. So if you're on Facebook, um, the best thing to do is join the American Field Sporting Group. Um, just sign up for it there. We have about 3,000 members right now. Um, you sign up for it. You get let in. Uh, and everything that you want to know about American Field Sporting is there. If you're not on Facebook uh, and you just want to see sort of a top-level view of the game – uh, it's AmericanFieldSporting.com. Uh, videos are there. Rule books are there. All kinds of stuff to download. Score sheets, menus, uh, guidance for clubs. Uh, it's just really a resource for everything out there. Plus, there are sort of news feeds from the from the websites that you can look at. And then uh, YouTube, we have a channel on YouTube, American Field Sporting, that has all the videos on it. Those are available through the website as well. But if you just want to go to YouTube, you can do that as well. But if you really want to be active in the community, uh, the American Field Sporting page on Facebook is the place to be. Well, Mark, I appreciate you coming on tonight and and giving everyone an insight on what this is. And uh, we'll sure... uh, help you with uh spreading the word about it and i, I would like to shoot it when's it, is it going to be in georgia anytime soon do you know you know uh, close by um maybe you should talk to dominic about that <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead and put another one at the meadows yeah, it'd be great to have another one at the meadows but i know that uh, big red oak is talking about it because they had a good response the last time you know people's calendars aren't set for for next year so i'm sure there'll be a lot more coming on as as we get closer into next year and people figure out if there's a season or not based upon where we are in the world. Okay. Well, good. I appreciate you coming on, like I said, and, uh, and, uh, I guess we'll see you next time. And I appreciate all the information. Hey, listen, and, uh, I seriously wish you the best of luck with this new endeavor. Um, you know, I think the, the community out there really had a sense of loss when, uh, when, uh, uh, your last effort, uh, sort of, 
uh, went quiet, but I think people can be more excited that, that you're back and uh, that you're going to provide this service to everybody. It's pretty invaluable. I know I enjoy the hell out of it, and I know others do, and I'm really uh, happy you asked me to, to kick off your inaug- inaugural episode. So thanks a lot. Yeah, man. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, everybody check him out. Facebook, American Field Sporting, Mark, Mark Baltazar, good guy, and uh, definitely ambassador for the sport. So we appreciate him. And uh, Mark, we'll get in touch with you next time we see you, bud. See you, Justin. Okay, man. Okay.